Welcome everyone to another episode of My Feminine Heart. Today we are featuring Diane Crow, our July Sister of the Month. Diane, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to um, interview Diane, who I have gotten to know very well over the last six months since she first signed up for my Feminine Flexibility Challenge on January 1st. And we have seen each other either every day or then several times a week in class. And she's become a club member of My Feminine Heart. And one of the things that I wanted to share about Diane is so often whenever I speak to anybody in the community, one of the number one things I hear about a fear impeding someone from living their most authentic life is fear. Fear of what might change in their life. You know, will their spouse not accept them? Will they end up getting a divorce? Will they end up, you know, having to move or lose their job? There's, there's so much fear involved with that. And one of the reasons I wanted to um, speak with Diane and help share her story today is she is one of the most vibrant, positive, amazing people you will ever meet. And um, right now, in the last six months that I have known her, where she has just been this truly positive glowing light, she has been going through what most people fear. She is going through a divorce and uh, she's just moved and she has come out very publicly um, to the city of Atlanta and the world beyond. And um, of all these things, you would think, my goodness, this can be someone's greatest fear. And she will tell you that she is living her absolute best life. So Diane, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Cass, thank you. I'm very excited to be with you for sure. And, um, and thank you for that introduction. It was really beautiful. And it pretty much encapsulate, encapsulates my world um, right now, actually. So thanks. Oh, well, um, one of the things I'd like to share uh, to begin with, would you mind telling the story that you shared with me of your first happy cry? Oh, so um, I had, uh, um, uh, like you mentioned, I'm in the midst of a divorce. I had moved to uh, my new place uh, away from my wife of 27 years. Um, I was living 100% and still am femme, um, trans. And one morning I woke up and I went out to my deck and I sat down on the mat and I meditated for like 10 minutes. It was beautiful. The birds were singing and the sun was starting to come up and it was cool and the breeze was lovely. And then I stood up and I did yoga stretching that I'd learned from you for about 20 minutes just to sort of loosen myself up and get myself ready for my day. And then I walked into my house where I had artwork up that I had taken like, like this right here behind me and that it was never allowed in, in my house house, you know? So I had decorated my house with my own decisions and how I wanted it to be. And when I walked into my house, I just felt this feeling of joy and peace and love and I just started to weep. I mean, really weep. I mean, I, I, I didn't stop crying for like 30 minutes. And I realized I had never had a happy cry in my life ever. And it was, it was beautiful. 
And then, and that, and then next, after I was through with my happy cry, um, FedEx came to the door and delivered my Chanel 22. And then I had my yoga with my sisters. And then I had my therapy, which I have once a week. And then I went out and I had my nails done like this. And I said, this is it. I'm living 100%, 100%, 100%. Because these were acrylic, honey, and I don't think a nuclear blast would have taken them off. So any job I went on, anywhere I went, I presented as me. And it's been that way since, so it's very nice. That's amazing. I love hearing that story. And uh, so to share with some people where you are now in your life, where do you reside? Well, I live in Atlanta. Um, I live in Stone Mountain, but, you know, it's more along the perimeter of 285. Um, but that's where I live. And you've come out to everybody. Oh, yeah. In fact, you yeah. have a, a pretty special roommate. You have two pretty special roommates. I do. I do. My son, Michael, um, he's gay. And, um, and he, he, he presents as a bear. He's a, he's a big burly kind of guy and um and his boyfriend also named Michael Michael one and Michael too both live with me and it's it's really lovely um it's really nice I mean in the mornings if Michael's up before me he'll have coffee ready for me and we'll sit and just talk or if I'm up before him we'll do the same thing you know it's really nice it's really really nice that's so wonderful and you know you are you were um, before you were Diane in your profession? You were pretty well known, and I know a lot of people um, worry about you know losing their job or their career. Uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about your career and how your clients have reacted to to Diane? Yeah, sure. Um, so I um, I'm a commercial photographer and filmmaker, and uh, I have shot. Uh, for Chick-fil-A and Coca-Cola and uh, the PGA. Um, I've shot on Capitol Hill. Um, I've photographed just about every congressman and senator for the last, I don't know how many years, a decade at least. Um, so, so I, and I've, I've photographed, you know, massive events on all four corners of the continent. Um, and I've shot stuff for the Today Show, um, you know, video stuff and stills for the Today Show. So I'm, you know, I'm reasonably known. I'm published pretty heavily. Um, and so um, the thing that I think people always knew about me is that I'm a real easy to get along with person and people like me. I have a very positive attitude. I sort of live in the positive, you know, side of things. I always have. And, um, and, when, I, and when I came out, without exception, my clients were like so happy for me. I mean, really happy for me. And one of them said to me, you know, you've always been a wonderful person and I don't see that changing and that you're living your genuine life is really wonderful. So, um, I, you know, the, the big fears that I had about coming out, about losing clients, I, I just said to myself, you know, if over the years, I have been able to shed negative clients. Um, and as you, as you reach a certain level, you, you get to fire some clients that you don't like, which I have done. 
and I don't really fire them, but I just tell them I'm not available. You know, you need to find somebody else, you know? So, um, so all these people know me and like me. And when I share them with them, the story, they see how happy I am about it and, and the joy that I have and all they can do is feel happy for me. Um, I, I feel, I feel sad for the sisters who are, um, really closeted and, um, and really scared and they, they just like terrified men in dresses. And I always say to them, honey, just enjoy whatever little bit of it you can get. I mean, if your circumstances don't allow you to, to like fully blow out like I have, just enjoy what you have. And I, and I do find that if you are, if you're really genuine about your joy and your happiness, if people who are your clients, at least for me, don't like that, that you, what you've done, then you don't really need to have them as clients to start with. I mean, I've always had this policy about my work is that it has to make me happy. It has to bring me joy. It has to be something I'm passionate about and that I find value in. And I don't care how much money's involved. If it's not those things, I won't do them. And that includes any client that would be, you know, against this. So it's been, it's worked out great. And, you know, if we back up a little, you know, there haven't always been positive people in your life. You have had very toxic people in your life. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, and I please, yeah, I, I, I should put out a disclaimer for anybody who is listening. Um, I understand everyone's circumstances are different. Every, every person we interact with that we're married to, children, mm. jobs, everybody out there has a different circumstance. Um, but you know, when I have an opportunity to share somebody who's faced these tremendous fears, uh, I want to share their story. So I'm not sitting here advocating that. Um, I love how you put it, enjoy whatever you can. I'm not here telling anybody you have to transition or you have to live full time or you have to you know, risk your marriage or your job or, or get divorced. I just wanna say, this is the path that Diane lived and she's filled with joy. So, you know, you, you are ending, you were in the middle of a divorce, you moved, two stressful things and you'd been married to this person. This was your second wife. Right, yeah. um, 20, 27 you, years. But yeah, almost three decades. Um, and, you know, you had shared some stories where it reminded me of some clients that, that share with me, they're very worried about losing um, their marriage, but they will share they're in an unhappy marriage and with an unsupportive or unkind spouse. Yeah. And, you know, for anybody who's out there, Diane, would you share a little bit about what your marriage was like and, and what made you say it was time to be Diane and let it go? Yeah. Um, well, um, I started therapy about almost three years ago, actually. Um, and it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me is to find someone who was a great therapist, who had great understanding. And, um, and I, I, just, I just came to her, I said, look, I just want you to hypnotize me to be more organized because it's driving my wife crazy. She hates that I'm not organized. And um, through therapy, and telling stories about my life with her, I came to realize that my wife wasn't happy with anything that I did, said, bought, 
decisions I made, you name it. And I never understood it. It was like, I, I just didn't get it. Um, and um, it turns out that my, my wife is, is a, a huge narcissist. And I didn't really know what a nar narcissist was until um, my therapist had met with the both of us a couple of times. And she said, you know, later, you know, months later, she goes, did you ever think that your wife might be a narcissist? I said, no, no, come on, no. And so then I started looking it up and I was like, oh my God, check, 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 check. All the boxes were checked. And I was realizing that all the things that she was so upset at me for, I'm too sensitive. Um, I, I, um, oh gosh, I can't, I, I don't even want to get into all the things, but it was just a constant level of trying to demean me and reduce me and, um, and it was that way our whole relationship. And um, my therapist said that it's not, it's very common for a narcissist to find someone who's loving and sweet and is, you know, does everything they can to help the other person. They like, those are the targets for narcissists because they know that they can, you know, pull that person in and, and get them to do whatever they want them to do. And that turned out to be really true. And so for the longest time, I resisted the idea of, you know, divorce and everything, but but then it was like, hmm, you know what? I don't think this is gonna change. And I really tried. And so um, the decision was made to divorce, which we're you know, in the midst of now. Um, and she's very upset about what she called the alternative lifestyle. Very upset, hot, mad actually. But she, she would go you know, from zero to really mad in like a millisecond, so that was usual. But, um, but yeah, I mean, well, yeah, Diane, what else do you want to know? <laughs> there was, there was a story in particular you shared with me that for anybody out there who doesn't really know what a narcissist is, that they were wondering, you know, am I not maybe in the best relationship for me or for, for my mm. best life? Um, there was a story you told about coming back in the middle of the night, uh, from yeah. a photo shoot. So, um, the shoot went long went really long and um, I was many hours away from home. And um, I would always take the, my two girls in to school, which is five minutes away from the house. And it, I, I didn't get to leave the shoot until about one o'clock in the morning and about two o'clock in the morning, I'm falling asleep at the wheel in the worst kind of way on these long deserted roads. And I was falling asleep and you know, veering off the road and everything, it was terrible. So. I called my wife and I said, look, I, I, I've got to pull over and take a nap. And she says, so why are you calling to tell me that? I said, because if I pull over to take a nap, I'm not going to make it home in time to take the girls to school. And she goes, well, that's not okay. I said, well, what, what do you mean that's not okay? She says, no, you get your ass home and you take the girls to school. I said, can't you call in late to work? I'm not going to do that. Well, okay, I'm thinking, all right, well, why don't you call the folks that we carpool with, you know, in the morning, don't wake them up now, but in the morning, call them and ask them if they would come and pick up the girls. That's embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. Listen, this is not my fault. This is not my problem. You get your ass home. And, you know, I was so angry. I drove through the night. I got home just in time enough to pick up the girls from at home. 
Sherry, my wife had already gone off to work and I took them to school the five minutes and then back and went to bed. And it was like, it's astonishing that someone would care so little for their partner's well-being and safety. The answer should have been, honey, no problem. I'll take care of it. And for the safety of your children, because at the end of that drive, you still picked up your children and, and drove them to school. And that, yeah. so, you know, that's what we mean by, um, you know, a narcissist, somebody who is always going to put the blame on someone else and not be empathetic or care for, you know, the other person. Well, yeah, the sad thing about someone who's a narcissist, they don't have an ability to see things from, from other people's perspective. They just don't. And um, therapists will tell you that, you know, they don't like to work with narcissists because narcissists are almost impossible to cure or even help because they can't see that they've done anything that's wrong or, or um, and, and they try and put themselves in the very best light and that everyone else is the problem and they're, they're not the problem. So, you know, it was time, really, it was time. And My therapist then, says it's astonishing that I've done so much with my life in spite of all that. So I'm pretty happy about that. You've had an amazing life. And speaking of, so there is a philosophy out there, and I do want to get back to some of these stories. But when we talk about life, there is a philosophy of my dead name and my dead life. And how do you reflect back on the life that you've lived till now? Hmm. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Just the other day, I had sort of a thing. I I took a trip to Florida with a friend. Uh, we went for four days. It was so much fun. Oh my God, we had a good time. Um, and on my way back uh, from Florida, the story broke um, about me finding my best life, all about my transition. And so it, it went out there to the world that, um, that Dwayne Stork is now Diane Crow. And, um, and so I, I made sure it was out there on Facebook. The next day I made sure it was on my Dwayne Stork Facebook. And um, I got, a, I got a, a text from my brother who didn't know. My brother, my, my, my side of the family didn't know anything about it. And, um, and he said, call your mother. I was like, ooh. So I called my mom. And at first she, was, she says, well, first off, I'm pissed that you didn't tell me. And I said, you know, I thought about just telling you, but then I would have to, you would have to deal with your emotions and your feelings and all that in front of me. And I really felt like if you just read it, you'd have time to really digest it and get a grip. And then we could have a conversation about it. And once we got through that part, we had a fantastic conversation. It was wonderful. She was very understanding and very giving and very loving. And she was like, you know, I've always wanted a daughter. So that was nice. And my brothers were really interesting too. My youngest brother said, I always said you had the best ass in the family. So that was pretty fun. Um, and oh my and God, your like, family is hilarious. <laughs> my my stepbrother, who was, who's um, just a couple of months younger than I am, he said, um, he said it makes a better looking woman than he does a man, you know. Um, but anyway, so I, so like the next day, I was feeling the sadness that I couldn't quite grasp. And, and, 
And then I realized it was almost like I was saying goodbye to my male self. But, I, but I'm, and, and I, I just cried over it. And I, you know, I texted my therapist, I am really sad about this. She said, can you ride the sadness? And I thought, well, yeah, I can do that. I can handle that. And so I just let it work in. And, and it's almost like a morning kind of, but I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have a dead name or a dead Dwayne. Dwayne brought me this far. And I've always loved that. And I've always loved him for that. And so I don't say that he's dead. I mean, he's who made, who made me now and who allowed me to become the person I am now. So I'm really thrilled with him. I don't, I don't have a, um, I don't have this like really negative connotation toward my old self because my old self was real and it's a real story and a real history and brought me to where I am. Now, um, people listening to you might think that, you know, you've been Diane for a long time and you said you have always dressed a little bit through your life, correct? That's true. Yeah. Even as a kid. But you had a pretty momentous moment just like a couple years ago that really pushed Diane forward and, and out of the yep. closet. Yep. Um, there's a, a group here in Atlanta called Sojourn. They're an LGBTQ uh, Jewish organization. And uh, Bex Taylor Klaus, who some of you may know, um, is an actress. And um, she was being honored by this uh, organization in February of 2019. And when I heard about that, I volunteered instantly to shoot it because I shot her bat mitzvah and I've shot her family and I've worked with her family and her whole vortex family for decades. Um, and so the night of the event, I went in my ubiquitous black shirt, black shoes, black pants, you know, the photographer's garb. And everyone looked amazing. It was, it was called Purim off Ponce. And any of you uh, who, who, are, who know what Purim is, it's an opportunity to really get dressed up. And it's, 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 like, um, it's like Halloween for Jews, kind of, sort of like that, you know? But I was like, wow, I am the most boring. I stand out because I'm so boring and I'm so bleh. And I met um, Christine Daly. A lot of you might know her. Um, she was dressed as Marilyn Monroe and looked beautiful. And we got in that, had a conversation. And I told her right there, I said, you are beautiful. And it was very inspiring to me. And so I said, if I do this event again, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something different. I'm just not going to do this. So in October of 2019, Kenny Blank, Arthur Blank's son, the founder of Home Depot, He's the chairman of the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, the largest film festival in the world. And I've been the official photographer and videographer for the film festival for years. So Kenny and I are friends, but he was being honored. Um, and I, I was like, yes, I volunteered to do it. And so I said, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Then I said to myself, I am gonna go in femme. And I told my wife I was doing this and she says, so you're gonna go in drag? I went, no, honey, no, not in drag, in femme. I don't want to go over the top or crazy. I just, you know, I just want to represent that way. She hated it. Really, really effing hated it. So she had to go to California for three weeks to be with my older daughter. I went to see Phoebe Cross, who is well-known in the community 
um, as helping men sort of get, you know, get makeup and dress and hair and all that. And she was lovely. She was beautiful. She, she put me in this beautiful dress and put makeup on me. And she uses her hands because she's from the old school where they didn't use brushes and a beautiful wig, similar to this one, actually. And she was so complimentary and so lovely. And, you know, men don't get those kind of compliments ever. And it felt so good. And it felt, it just rang true to me in so many ways. It was lovely. So then I went to Goodwill to buy shoes and I was too embarrassed to try them on. So I would, I would take the shoes home and if they didn't fit me, I would just give them back to them because they wouldn't take them back. And finally I went to DSW and I said, this is, I, I need you to fit me in some shoes. And they put me, put me in these beautiful black pumps and I walked out of the store with them in my man clothes and I went to the bank and I went to the grocery store and nobody noticed. Nobody saw them. I didn't care. They felt so great and my posture was so terrific and it was just wonderful. So I practiced for three weeks while my wife was gone, walking in heels and you know wearing a dress. Oh, and Phoebe was so sweet. She gave me one of the outfits that she had on me. She said, it looks so perfect on you. I want you to have it. And that was really nice. Oh, Diane, that's a beautiful story. So I'll go, I'll go on, the story goes on. So when my wife got back from California, a couple of days later, she came into my office and she's very angry, which again, is not unusual. And she said, there are women's dresses in your closet. And I said, no, those are not women's dresses. She said, oh, I said, no, those are my dresses. And you leave them alone. And she was highly upset and irritated by it. Oh my God, I got, oh, oh, I hated that. But like I said, it's something you get used to over time. And so the night of the event came and um, I had, I got dressed, my wife went shopping because she didn't want to see me get dressed. She had no desire to be interested in any of it. Now I had told them, my wife and my daughters, that I was gonna go see this lady and this is, you know, and this is what I was gonna do. Um, and so, um, so I, the first time I put on makeup, I looked like a clown, it was horrible. So I went to Sephora, I got dressed, I went to Sephora and I was incredibly anxious because I had to valet my car. And you know, they didn't look at me twice. And I clopped my way through, you know, to Sephora, nobody looked at me. At the Sephora desk, they said, oh, we're so sorry. We have one uh, makeup person and she's only gonna be here a short while. And I had no makeup on at all. And you know, she was so sweet. She, she, she was supposed to go home in like 20 minutes. She stayed with me for almost an hour and a half to do my face. And I mean, people walk through the store and not a soul looked at me. Nobody did. And I was like, wow, I, 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 either, I either pass really well, which trust me, when I look back at those pictures, I looked horrible, but, or people are so in their own heads, they don't notice. And if you carry yourself with a level of confidence, nobody notices anything. So anyway, I went to the event. It was the most beautiful and wonderful and self-affirming thing I had ever done in my life. Kenny, who I'd known for years, walks past me and I said, hi, Kenny. He turns and he looks at me, he says, hello. 
I said, do you, do you know who I am? He said, I'm sorry, should I know you? I said, it's, it's me, Dwayne. And he went, oh, oh my God. He, and his father was right next to him. And he, he, gave over, he gave me a big hug and a big kiss on the cheek. And honey, I did that whole event in four inch heels. I shot the whole thing. A couple of lesbian sisters came up to me and said, I would date you in a second. I was on cloud nine. Oh my God, it was lovely. It was beautiful. But when I got home, my wife was home. She met me at the door and she just looked horrified when she saw me. And she just like rolled her eyes and looked disgusted. And I said, aren't you going to say anything? What is there to say? She said, I said, did I look good? She shook her head and she just went upstairs. Didn't even mention it to me again. But that was kind of the start of it, really. And I, I just found so many connections to, I mean, who doesn't want to be beautiful? I mean, men don't get compliments. Most women only get compliments from other women. And men typically only give compliments if they're horny or in trouble or they want something. But honey, I can go anywhere and talk to anyone. I, I ran into a woman the other day at a Goodwill. I love Goodwill. I call it Goodwill hunting. It's my sport. And we pulled up chairs and we talked for a good 30 minutes at least. And just, I just wanted to find out, I, I, you know, sort of toward the end of our conversation, I said, honey, do you have any idea that I'm a man? And she went, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a man. I still have my man bits and everything. And she says, honey, that doesn't matter. I really like you. I think you're wonderful. And, and we're friends now. And I make friends like this every single day. I never had friends like this when I was a man. Never did. And now it's, it's, I feel so free to be confident and competent and approachable and be able to be loving and encouraging because that's, you know, that's the role women typically play. So life is good, honey. I could listen to your stories all day. Um, you slipped in something that I didn't know. So I am eager to ask. So you, when you went to, to uh, the makeup artist for the festival, that you just told your wife and children and that was that the first time your daughters had heard anything about it? Just oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. When I'm I went to see... No, when I, well, my girls had already gone gone away. You know, my, my daughter's older daughter was in California. My other daughter was uh, in college. So, um, so it was just my wife and I. Um, mm. But they knew about the event. I told them that I was going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. Any and my girls were, were any, like, okay about it, huh? Were there any questions like, well, what does this mean, Dad? Like, oh well, no. No, my girls, you know, today's kids, this is their, um, this is their, their rally cry about, you know, gay rights and, you know, all those things. I mean, everybody's younger is like, you know, this is an important thing and, and we believe in it. So my girls were awesome about it, actually. You know, um, my, my youngest daughter, um, she came down, um, because COVID of the lockdown, my daughter, it, it took a while, but she finally came down with her boyfriend who she's had for like a year and I hadn't met him. And I said, um, I said, so he knows about, you know, me and everything. 
And she said, yeah, but can you, can you be, you know, your male self? Because that's how I know you. And I said, sure, I can do that. And when she graduated uh, a couple months ago, I went up in, in drab, that's what I call it, in drab. Um, but I have to tell you, the morning that I changed out of this and into my man self to travel up to Virginia for the graduation, I was really sad, like really sad. And my son saw me, Michael saw me in the morning. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah, but I, this is, this is profoundly sad to me. And so it was like a gift that Diane gave to my daughter because number one, my soon to be ex would be there. And I didn't want to take away any of the spotlight from my daughter for the graduation, but it was, it was a, it was a powerful moment for me. And after that, I vowed that, you know, my girls are just going to get used to it because this is the way it is. The article has since come out. All my customers know it. Everybody knows. My family knows, you know. And it's very interesting because um, my, you know, in divorce, there's always this like discovery process. And uh, one of the things that, that my wife demanded to know in the discovery process was about alternative lifestyle. How much money have you spent on bras and dresses and shoes and makeup and blah, 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 and call it alternative lifestyle. And, um, and I, number one, I was kind of shocked by this. And I, and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm living as a woman. And so it's not an alternative lifestyle. It's an actual lifestyle. And all the things that you would expect to spend on clothes and makeup and stuff. And, oh, my God, it's a lot of stuff. But since I go... Goodwill hunting, all my dresses and outfits cost me like $15, a, you know, a set. And, um, and so anyway, so yeah, anyway, I go on. You can go on forever. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, and, you know, we're talking about your children. So people know you have how many children? Five, <laughs> five kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have three from a previous marriage and then two from this one. That is amazing. And just you know, to, to I, ground you a little bit more with our audience, if they're like, how did this magical Diane come to be? You grew up um, an army brat, right? Big family, all the um, family. Close. I was, I was an Air Force brat. Um, well, okay. So a little bit of the origin story. Um, when my mother and father were both in the Air Force and they had me. And just after I was born, my father had to go on an unaccompanied tour to Korea for a year. But when he returned, my mother had something cooking in the oven, so to speak. And he wasn't around to help create this little thing in the oven. So he filed for divorce. And back then in 1958, when I was born, um, you always went with a mom regardless, right? Well, the judge who heard the case had a similar thing happen to his son. And he said, that's not going to happen. So he was, I was given to my father. And I, I you know, my father worked. And so I was, I, I went from, I don't know where to where. And I, I, I really didn't have a mom for like three years. And then Connie, my stepmother who raised me really, in our conversation the other day, she told me something new I didn't know. She said that I was three and a half 
and I could barely speak. No one could understand what I said, I just spoke baby talk. I wasn't even potty trained yet. Um, and, um, you know, that coupled with being severely ADD uh, and dyslexic, which they didn't know what those things were back then, made life really quite a challenge. So we moved all over the place. My, my grounding place was Dothan, Alabama, because that's where my grandparents were, and we would spend every summer there. So that's kind of the start of that. Yeah, you, have, you could write a book, Diane. Now, um, I wanna share at least one more story, one of my favorite stories. Um, you speak sign language. I do. And um, you've been- What do you wanna know? And you've been playing Santa for children who are deaf? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, so I'll tell you the story about that because it's really a fun story. I'm a very social person, always have been. And I met some folks who were deaf. And I felt, um, I felt really bad that I couldn't communicate with them. I mean, it's not their fault they were deaf and they couldn't hear me, but I had no understanding of what they were you know, saying or anything. And I, I felt terrible. And if you've ever had that moment between waking with your alarm clock, you know, where you hit the snooze button and you fall back asleep for your five minutes or 10 minutes, I had this dream. And in this dream, I saw two women were talking. They were just talking to each other. But the sound was turned off. I couldn't hear them. And I looked over to my, to my right and I see a gentleman interpreting for them. But I didn't understand him either. And so that very day, I went to the library and checked out every single book they had on sign language. And I started furiously learning sign language. And in no time, I, would, I mean, it's really an easy language to pick up, actually, I thought. I mean, simple things like, you know, this is girl, which is like the, the string on a bonnet. And this is boy, which is like the cap on his head. This is father, this is mother, grandmother, grandfather. I mean, it, it just makes sense, it's easy. And so in no time, I had become friends with um, all of these folks from who went to Gallaudet, who had master's degrees and, um, I was, um, I, I was actually in a hospital one day and they, uh, the, over the loudspeaker, they said, does anybody speak sign language? Please come to the emergency room. So I dashed off to the emergency room and I interpreted for a woman who was having some abdominal stress, having trouble. And, and, um, and I was able to interpret for the doctor and for the nurses and stuff. And um, it's really, and, oh, and I was the, um, the Santa Claus for the uh, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta School for the Deaf for a couple of years. And so, you know, the kids would come and sit on my lap and I said, how are you? Have you been good this year? And, and the director of the school said, you sign better than a lot of our parents. I said, how could that be? And he said, well, sadly, a lot of parents don't want to acknowledge that their children are deaf and they want to force them to read lips and not rely on sign language. So they have not really learned any sign language. Now, the fascinating part about this, it all sort of comes around. There's, uh, there's someone here in Atlanta who is building um, a, an Atlanta arts, art school for the deaf. And, um, and I'm to be on their board and I'll be teaching photography. I'll be teaching you know, video skills and stuff. So that's very exciting. They just did an article about me just the other day. That's amazing, Diane. I love how you get this inspiration and you just 
go for it. You're like, I'm just gonna, I dreamed about speaking sign language. I'm just gonna wake up and do it. And this school sounds amazing. Congratulations. Speaking of how you uh, grab inspiration and just take it by the horns, you have a special project that is debuting, I, I think like right now called the Diane Crow Show. Yes. All right. So tell us about this and the origin okay. and everything. Okay. So um, when I, um, after the, you know, the big event where, you know, I went in them um, and actually uh, Phoebe Cross said, you know, what's your fem name? I said, what are you talking about? And she, she says, everybody's got a feminine name. I said, well, I don't. She says, well, think about it. And she says, you know, what do you do with your pictures? I said, what pictures? You know, the pictures that you take of yourself and dress. I don't have any. And she said, well, you should really, you know, if you, if you do that, and you should, because you're really cute. Mm -hmm. She said, um, you should put them on crossdresser.com because, uh, crossdresserheaven.com because they're, they're, it's not a hookup side. They take care of their sisters. It's really good, encouraging place. I was like, okay. And so I started taking pictures of myself. And one of the benefits of being a photographer is I know what looks fe feminine and what looks masculine. And, um, and so, you know, my pictures look pretty good. I know right away if they don't look right. And so I started posting them and I started trending on this site. And, and people were like, you know, does this hair look good on me? You know, how about this pose? Or, you know, and I just started, yeah, I started writing articles for them and about all kinds of things. But, um, but what struck me is of the 25,000 active members of crossdresserheaven.com, and they just did a calling of all the people who weren't active, but these are all active members. A huge percentage of them are just so sad and so closeted and so terrified. I mean, just terrified. And when I came to really grasp that idea, I realized that I'm really, and I hate to use this word because it's used so much, but I'm genuinely blessed that I can pass. I can go places, I can pass. People don't know I'm a man. At least I don't think they do. At least, at least I don't care if they say there's a man in a dress. I just don't want them to say there's an ugly man in a dress. That's all. So anyway, um, so one day I had this inspiration and I sat down and I wrote out the synopsis of the Diane Crow show. And the overriding theme of the Diane Crow show is to let people know that it's okay to be okay who you are and where you are in your journey. And it's okay. There'll be, you know, the big, it's, it's kind of like Stephen Colbert on HRT, actually. So there'll be um, fun segments like Goodwill Hunting, hair, how to walk in heels, man on the street interviews, interviewing people at conferences and things. Then there'll be interviews from people who I've already contacted some, I don't know, I've got at least 20 people lined up who are prominent in the world of uh, LGBTQ community. Um, and then at the end, there'll be a beautiful story about someone who's finally living their true life. Maybe the first day they went out in Femme and how exhilarating it was and how it wasn't as frightening as they thought it was gonna be. 
I had those feelings too. The first day I went out in daylight like this, I was terrified. But I said, I don't care. I'm going out and I'm going to do it. And I have gotten such remarkable response from the concept of this show. We start shooting promos in the next 10 days. Um, the, on Independence Day is the day our first uh, episode will air. And, um, and we're just all really excited about it. So, and, and the reason behind it is that, um, this is so, so many people I run into, I share this story with, you know, women of all ages and all from everywhere. And they're like, we would watch that. And I said, why would you watch that? And they said, because you're an authentic person. You're not RuPaul and you know, it's not, it's not like a drag thing. It's like a real person that we can actually see and talk to and you're nice and you're approachable. And, and this is, you know, this is what people need. They really need to see someone, anyone. So that when I run into someone, I am not afraid to tell them that I'm trans at all. And people say, oh my God, I would never bring up my dead self, you know, to someone else. I'm like, you know what? If I have this lovely exchange with someone, maybe they've never knowingly met someone who's trans. But from here on out, they will not be afraid of it. And they will go home and tell their husband, I met the most beautiful, fun, and loving woman today. She was a man. And that's going to carry on. Honey, I share them pictures of my before and after. I hope you have them to show because it's huge. I was 195 pounds and not very happy, really not happy at all. And in, in a desire to, to be my true self, to be able to wear a medium-sized dress, a size 10, I'm down to 160 pounds now. And by God, I look good. So, so anyway, that's the whole story about the Diane Crow show, sort of the origin. And, um, and hopefully when, um, you know, when we get enough eyes on it, it'll, it'll go out to Facebook Live, it'll go out to YouTube. And when we get enough eyes on it, we'll pitch it to, um, to Netflix and Showtime, you know, and see where it goes. That's amazing, Diane. I'm so excited for you. Uh, so we will be um, showing promos and parts of the Diane Crow Show when you come back live next week for Trans Tuesday. So very excited to share this with the world. And since this is your newest venture, I have to ask, what is down the road for you? A year, five years, 10 years when the Diane Crow Show is on Netflix, but what else is on the horizon for you? That is a really great question. I mean, um, I, I've never been really good at long-term forecasting, being ADD like I am. I've always been a kind of person that I just open up the idea to the universe and the universe just starts bringing it to me. And so um, I'm still, um, you know, filming commercials. I'm still writing commercials. I'm still shooting events. I'm live streaming huge events. I'm converting events that were once physical events into virtual events. We just filmed a, um, a floral demonstration for a, uh, for a nonprofit. And they raised $24,000 off of this 
uh, thing, more money than they ever made in, in physical events. Um, and so I am just gonna continue what, what is fun and what is, is, is um, meaningful to me. And whatever that is, you know, I just can't go wrong with that. Because if I find that I don't like it or it's not meaningful, I'll do something else. You know, as long as it's fun, as long as it's fulfilling. That's I'm living my best life, honey. I am. I swear. I swear to you. I, I, my therapist said that, my therapist said that it's just going to get better. So I stopped saying I'm, I couldn't possibly get any better because it keeps getting better. Someone said to me, oh my God, you're getting a divorce and you move. Those are two massive life stressors. And I thought about it for just a millisecond. I said, you know what? I have never been happier and more stress-free in my life. So these changes are wonderful. So knowing all of this now, uh, if you could look back and give yourself any advice and you'd want to share that advice with, with the world, what would you say? Mm. I would say, if someone says to you, if you weren't so sensitive, this would not be a problem for you. And that person is just saying, you don't have permission to own your feelings. That your feelings don't matter to that person. And it should be a giant red flag that that person really doesn't have your best interest at heart. That'd be a big one because that's been a big one for me, you know, my whole life. And until I realized that I had been subjecting myself to, you know, poor behavior forever. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, many people have told me, so I, I, I'm an electrical engineer by training. I've got my electrical engineering degree and I fixed x-ray machines and CAT scanners for forever. But I always loved photography and sound and music. And I always said, that's what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I had to make a change, I decided 29 years into doing this engineering thing that, well, I'll, I'll tell you the story. I, I know we're going long, but it's a great story. So I was the, the uh, director of clinical engineering for children's healthcare for five years. And um, I fixed radiology myself. I took care of it all myself. And I had like 20 engineers that answered to me and we took care of all the special equipment in the hospital. It was a very stressful job. But because of my photography skills, the cancer ward would call me up and ask me to come up and take pictures of kids who sadly were not gonna make it, who had some sort of cancer, they were gonna die. And I'll never forget, there was this little boy, he was blonde and blue eyed and gorgeous and so much fun. And he was playing with his dinosaurs and I was taking pictures of him and we were talking and his parents were there and it was just beautiful. And the little boy had brain cancer that could not be operated on and he was gonna die. And I, when I left the room, I just wept. I just cried. 
And I said, why am I doing all of this when I could be doing this? This is what I should do with my life. And I made the decision then, I left Children's and I installed CAT scanners all over the country just until my photography business and my other business built up. And people have told me over and over and over again, oh, I wish I was brave enough to do that. They're in jobs that they can't stand, have always hated, but they say, well, but it pays the bills, you know? And, and I say, you know, honey, life is too short. And when I, when I made that change, people would, would, you know, would think, oh my God, why would you not continue on with that? You know? And it's because it did not, it didn't serve me. It didn't, it didn't speak to my heart. It didn't, it didn't move me in the direction I wanted to go. And so changing that and then changing this, it's fabulous. It's wonderful. Oh my God. And if I could tell you anything, honey, follow your heart. Follow your joy. And if you don't know what that is, find a therapist and figure it out. Because a therapist is not there to fix you. They're basically there to pull the weeds away and get to the real you. All the things that aren't you, they'll help you discover. And it's been a glorious, magnificent path for me. Hey, honey, I'm 62. And my life is just really getting into gear. So it's never too late. Diane, thank you so much. You have so much to share. And I'm so excited to have you back next week on Trans Tuesday and to watch everything that's going to be happening with the Diane Crow Show. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and taking your time with us today and sharing your joy and light and positivity. This was truly a unique interview for us. Um, I, I cry during most of these. And there are so many times when talk of fear and, re and regret come in and you've just put such a different spin on it, just a different light shed on the obstacles that we face in life. So thank you so much for all your joy and everything you're doing to help the community. Thank you. Bye, sweetie. I love you and I will see you soon in yoga. Namaste. Namaste. Goodbye, everybody. We love you, too. <laughs>